0: Find the answers to questions you may or may not have asked yourself here at Kaleidoscience, Conversations on Cognitive Science, hosted by Elisa Palmer and Sönke Löw. We were at a special event, which was the Coxy Space Day. There we had the chance to talk to a great variety of different people and talk about their fields of interests, may they be students or professors. We talked about various aspects of Cognitive Science, such as neuroscience, linguistics, philosophy or artificial intelligence and many more. All the interviews were kept rather short, and another exception of our bonus episodes will be that not only Zünk and me are hosting, but also our two amazing producers, Alina and Sophie, and both will jump into this role of being an interviewer. So stay curious and tune in. So we are now here with one of our next guests, and well, we stumbled a bit into this interview, so I can't really say a lot about you, and I would love to hear who you are and, well, how you ended up here in this room right now very good question.
1: (laughs) I'm Jolinde Vlajan, so I'm a PhD student at uh, with Simone Pica with the Comparative Biocognition Lab and we got asked to do a workshop at this cognitive science event and someone approached me to do this podcast and I said yes because no one else wanted to and I said why not so I am here.
0: (laughs) And now you're in a room with us with some interesting chairs and, well, <laughs> we are trying to figure out what to do now, but I'm really sure it's going to be fine. And thank you so much for volunteering. <laughs> um, as all our interviews, we start with a tiny part of our introduction game, which includes us giving you the beginning of a sentence and you finishing it. And the sentence is, as a kid, I always wanted to be. So I wanted to be a VI agent.
1: However, when I think about this now, I have no guts whatsoever to do this. (laughs) Um, If I watch a murder mystery show, I need my partner there, otherwise I don't sleep or I cannot walk around in my own apartment. So I don't know where I got this guts from when I was a child, but somehow (laughs) it it vanished quite quickly.
0: And well, so from that I can hear that you're not an FBI agent now. What are you doing? What are you researching? What is the group you are presenting for today?
1: I am researching animals. So I go to where they live and follow them, which is also needs some gut, just different kind of gut. Um, and so part of the group that I'm in, we look at uh, mostly communication and compare it between species. So for me, I am looking at bonobos. So it's often people forget what bonobos are because chimps are there and people know what chimps are, but not bonobos. There's also less bonobos there. Uh, So they live in Congo, so it's very dense forests. And as an extra challenge to myself, I decided to also do a comparative part, looking at dolphins. So, (laughs) (laughs) yes, so dolphins are not that different from primates and us as well, because, okay, they live in the water, so very different, but they also live in very complex social groups, just like primates. And they are also highly, they have high cognitive skills, so like, they can pretty much do as much as we can. Um, so based on this, I compare, I look at communication, specifically turn-taking. So like, how does a conversation flow between one individual to another?
0: Is it only on conversations or also general behavior, the turn-taking?
1: So it's, we base it on human conversations, so turn-taking in humans is only in conversations. But because we're looking at a species that doesn't have language, uh, only humans have language, we look at body gestures, um, signals, vocalizations, and any kind of actions. So like, if I approach you, what is your response?
2: Okay, You said you follow the animals around, and after Bass's episode, I feel like people might have a glimpse of what it is like to follow a monkey around. But how do you follow the dolphins around? <laughs> so.
1: We're on a boat, so we don't swim with them. Um, there's only one field site in the Bahamas that they actually swim with the dolphins to do behavioral stuff, but it's, it, I don't know how they do it. Um, but we're on a boat. We drive around the boat until we see a group of dolphins. Then we take pictures of the dorsal fins, because that's how we ID them. Every dorsal fin is unique. Um, And then we assess based on the questions that we have on that day. So for me, with the turn-taking, I would prefer smaller groups. And because of the bonobos, I look at mother infants. I also want to look at dolphin mother calves. We don't call them infants. Um, And so if there's a group of maybe like 30 individuals, we take five minutes of just general behavioral data, continue, hope to find a different group. When we find a group of interest, we put in hydrophones in the water to collect acoustic data. We fly the drone to have a different perspective because when you're standing on a boat, you have kind of like a weird angle. You see the fins and that's about it. But from the drone, you really have a really nice perspective and you can see things that we've never seen before. So that's uh
2: And are you looking at a specific kind of dolphins, or is that... Yes,
1: I forgot to mention this.
2: I'm looking at the most common dolphin there is
1: the bottlenose dolphin. So it's the ones that you see most of the times in whenever aquarium you go. Um, Any kind of dolphin that you think about is mostly the bottlenose dolphin.
2: Okay, then I would continue with the next question. So how would you explain your research or your main field of interest to me if I were about 10? (laughs) Oh, God.
1: That's a very good question. I don't speak to children a lot. (laughs) Um, I would say that I look at how um, one individual communicates, even I don't know if the word communicate is understandable to a 10-year-old, with another individual and what like how this is done. So how do you do it? When do you do it? In what specific context do you do it? And so that's between who, what is your age, all different kinds of things. I hope a 10-year-old would
0: understand. Yeah, I think so. And then you compare it again <laughs> to human behaviour, right? Exactly. So that's yes. the whole comparative part.
1: The whole comparative part is also looking at different species. So talking about bus, I'm actually doing exactly the same study, but on a different species both chimpanzees and bonobos are as related to each other as to humans, so it would be very, but they have different social systems. So bonobos are more tolerant than chimpanzees, so there might also be slight differences there. And then we also compare to humans, because whatever we can learn from primates, we can understand how it evolved in humans.
0: And when you talk about that, you said you wanted to be an FBI agent, now you're doing animals. How did you get there? So how did this whole process go from starting at some point eventually at university to looking at dolphins and bonobos?
1: very good question. Um, For a long time, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, But I should have always guessed because I was always interested in animals. I think my mom still has these very, very big books of biology of animals, animal facts. I made a quiz about animals when I was 11, 12. Um, but I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I took a gap year and then realized that I was just animal research was a thing. Um, in Belgium, I'm from Belgium, <laughs> and when you finish university, or no, when you finish high school, there's not that many choices that are presented for you, so I didn't know animal research was a thing I could do. Um, so when I came back, I was like, I'm an animal researcher now. So then I did my bachelor's in just general uh, arts and liberal science. There I found my way to find animal behavior courses and then I did my master's in animal behavior and did projects with multiple species, mainly primates because then it started that I was like, oh, primates are very similar to humans. I can actually do a lot there. There's so many differences, so many similarities, but I always had an interest as well in dolphins. So I tried to combine those both in my bachelor's and my master's and here I am, I (laughs) keep, Because they're so interesting, both of them, and they're so different and you can learn as much from one species to the other. And if you think about what happens in dolphins, there's stuff maybe that happens there that you're like, oh, let me look at what the bonobos do in this aspect
0: and vice versa. Are there any similarities you found?
1: Um, Group living, like um, there's a lot of like, uh, actually (laughs) with dolphins and bonobos. Bonobos are known for their sexual behaviors, don't know if this is known, but they're Um, To reduce tension, they actually have a lot of sexual behaviors with each other instead of aggressing each other. And dolphins have a lot of sex as well. It's very known, um, it's mostly the males. Um, I've always, this is absolutely not scientific, so no one quote me, but I've always said that dolphins are quite like the chimpanzees in the way that they behave because the males are most, we can't really use domination, but the males are often doing the things, they're, in between quotations, in charge. And bonobos are a bit more like orcas, where the females are guiding the group. And um, so that's, yeah, kind of quite similarities.
0: Are there any other things? Like, I imagine turn-taking is quite a niche in research as well. So I've done my bachelor's thesis on it, so I know quite a bit about it. But before that, I didn't really hear of it. So, and I feel like even though it's a quite new direction of looking at behavior, um, it's at least it's evolving quite quickly, um, was there any changes or any discoveries recently, or in the past months you were surprised by, it? or is it more like, well, I would have expected it it's of course we humans do it, so animals do it too is it
1: so this is maybe going to sound a bit weird, but for me, I am never really surprised when it comes to animals because I have the mindset of If humans can do it, why can other animals do it? Because we are human. We are, no, sorry, we are animals. Um, So why would it be that different? We just evolved in a much more complex way that we do things, for example, like language, but that doesn't mean that animals are not capable of it. So it's more that I go with the flow of animals have it all, we just haven't discovered it yet. Maybe not all, but most of the things. Um, Just like empathy is now a big, um, thing and it's mostly studied by neuroscience, which is then complicated. But why, if we have empathy, why shouldn't animals have empathy or emotions? It's just that we don't have the means to research this non-invasively. So this is completely out of communication, but it's... Yeah. It's
0: yeah. When, like, you've mentioned that uh, dolphins are more similar to chimpanzees compared to bonobos, when I got that correct. <laughs> um, well, m- might be a weird question, but why did you decide to stick with bonobos and not go to another species of apes to make more simple comparisons?
1: Simply because the research uh, PhD uh, position was open with studying bonobos. So it wasn't absolutely about dolphins, I just came in because I wanted to continue my comparative research and I have the people who work with the dolphins and the field site that I work really well with, so I wanted to continue doing this. and. Um, That's how it's bonobos and dolphins. But I am really happy because bonobos are so much cooler than chimpanzees. Why? Because they're they're fluffy, they're beautiful, (laughs) they're tolerant, they're peaceful, they're... Yes, and females, obviously,
0: females are in charge, so obviously, they're much cooler. Mm, So you started researching dolphins before you started your PhD here? Yes,
1: I did my bachelor's thesis on snubfin dolphins. So they're dolphins that live in Australia. They look a bit like the Iwadi dolphin. I never know how to pronounce this. Um, that live close to Cambodia. Um, and then I really enjoyed it and I wanted to continue. And then I did a research assistant job for three months in Florida, where I now continue my research. So that's how I got the connection with the dolphins. It was just really nice collaboration. and. We liked each other's company, I guess. And now I'm, yes, (laughs) doing my research there.
2: What I'm wondering is, like, how can, like, it's very difficult for me to imagine how you come, the behavior because I mean apes live in a forest with trees and they don't have fins but arms and legs <laughs> yeah. and move around very differently and it's very hard for me to imagine how a comparison between these behaviors can be drawn. Yeah so it's
1: it's a very good question actually but it's a bit the same as how we compare it with humans right we also don't well, I mean we have the same limbs but Um, So basically, what we do is really we look at... So every species has their own way of communicating, right? Even chimpanzees and bonobos will have their own. So it's always species-specific. But what we do is we really pull out the big picture, for example, within turn-taking. Let's say when one individual says something and the other responds, what is the time in between that? Is the time the same across species? Or is there maybe a difference? And why, if there is a difference, what makes it? Is it the fact that they live, for example, underwater, where water, um, like you don't hear things the same way as on land? Or is we also look at, for example, a bunch of, um, like I said, if I approach you, how do you respond? Do you respond by starting to groom me, which obviously we cannot do it, dolphins, so maybe this is not the right example. Let's use mother infants, because that's my expertise. Um, If an infant wants to nurse, a, like a bonobo infant, is it going to be the same kind of request and the same kind of communication as when a dolphin infant wants to request? Is, it, is mom going to be different in her way of responding? So these are more things we look at how it happens and we look at different things within the species and then pull out what we can compare, basically. I hope this answers your question and yes. you get a better understanding.
2: <laughs> yes, that makes a lot of sense. I also feel like with communication, like there are things you can and things you can't compare. So obviously comparing movement wouldn't make a lot of sense. So I feel like communication is like a really good point there. Yeah, you have
1: to keep into account that you look at different species and the environment is different and every like, but that's something we do take into account. So.
2: Do you tend to follow around the same groups of animals? So, do you regularly see the same animals, or is it always different animals you watch? So, you is, see?
1: is this dolphin or bonobo related, or both? Both. Okay. <laughs> I'll start with the bonobos because it's easier. In the bonobos, where the field site is in Kokolopori, in Congo, we have three groups that are kind of habituated. Um, um, so, they are okay with us following them. And um, there's local field assistants that follow them daily. And so it's easy to... Well, it depends because only a few <laughs> researchers can go with the groups because otherwise there's too many people versus bonobos. But that's a bit easier because we follow them from the morning that they wake up and come out of the nest to the time that they go sleep. So we always know, 99% of the time, know where they are. We can lose them. Um, whereas with dolphins, we don't follow them from the morning till the evening because we can also not be on the water with the boat um, because weather. Um, so there it's very interesting and it's things we're still researching because there is um, very much resident dolphins that looks like they really barely have any kind of... like We always see them in the same spot. So we're like, do you not go anywhere else? Do you not want to <laughs> find other places? Whereas there's dolphins that we see from like a point one day 20 kilometers further the other day and it's like how did you travel this distance within a day we saw you in the other fields like so it's 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 very different but we do see regularly the same dolphins um every other day or so i would say
0: i would try to come to an end looking at the time (laughs) yes
2: (laughs) um and do the animals try to interact with you? Uh,
1: yes, both, both species. Um, so we, with the bonobos, we respect a distance of seven meters, um, so you cannot come closer. But sometimes they, like, let's say you're standing next to the tree they want to feed in, and you don't know this, they approach you, you have to really try not do anything, but then once they're closer to you, you slowly move again, so that you really respect the distance. They will let you know if they don't appreciate the distance. Um, bonobos shake little branches to be like, excuse you, <laughs> I'm here. Uh, they're not very aggressive. And dolphins love to come to the boat, um, especially the front of the boat. When you go, we really don't go fast. I think we go like seven kilometers per hour max, which is really slow. Yet they have, the f- when boats go quick, they like to swim with it because it seems like the water, they... D- like the water moves so that they have to make less movement. So it's easier for them to swim. Um, I don't know what they really like about the boat, but they like to come to us, which is actually not that good for us because then they behave with the boat and not with their peers. They also behave with their peers next to the boat, but not not as we would like to. But yes, they do interact with us.
2: (laughs) That's really interesting. I feel like that might also be an interesting thing to study by itself, just completely separate. 100 percent,
1: because also in, with the boats, um, they can come to our boat, because we do research, but they also come to other people's boats. And maybe there's a big problem is that humans don't know how to interact with wild animals. For example, start feeding them. That's a whole different... Yeah. Pro- I would not start this now or go really fast when you're next to a dolphin. And that's how also they have a lot of marks on their bodies, because, well, we have a dolphin called Prop, Because he lost his fin with a propeller. So yes. So there is
0: good and bad things about this, but definitely worth investigating. Being in a quite niche field of research yourself, is there any scientist in general of your field, of another field, dead or alive, you want to talk to? Or well, you would ask questions if you could.
1: I would. And it's going to sound to anyone who's in the primate field like a very basic answer. But I would love to sit down with Jane Goodall and just hear her stories from her mouth instead of reading her books and just hear all the things she has to say.
2: Yeah, I can imagine.
1: She's still alive, so hopefully... Oh, actually, can I change my answer to make it less? (laughs) Actually, I'm going to go with David Attenborough. Why? Because I have always admired him and I would, he, has so, he must have so many fascinating things to say about all the things he's seen. He's travelled the world, seen animals, all kinds of animals, and he must be full of amazing
0: stories. That, that is my answer. You can scratch yes. skin, Jane <laughs> I, I think we won't, but both are really good answers. Both fun. So yeah. Thank you very much for your time, for your spontaneous time especially. And it was a pleasure talking to you. It was really fun. <laughs>
1: Thank you.
0: Thanks. When you enjoy listening to us, the best way to support us is by following us on your chosen podcast app. This could either be Google Podcast, Spotify or Apple Podcast. Another good way to support us is by following our Instagram account, which is called kaleidoscience underscore pod. On our Instagram account, you will also get regular information on the next episode. Thanks a lot for supporting us. This was Kaleidoscience, hosted by Elisa Palme and Sönke Löw. Produced by Alina Ohnesorge, Elisa Palme, Sönke Löw and Sophie Kühne. Produced in collaboration with the Cognitive Science Student Journal. The music was produced by Jan-Lukas Schröder. The logo was designed by Annika Richter. Thank you for listening and joining us on our journey through conversations on Cognitive Science.